0: Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And here we are. And here, there you are. (laughs) Yeah. So this is part two of the Lorena story. If you did not listen to part one, scoot John over and do that. Unless you like to start in the middle. Yeah. Then feel free. That's your journey. We don't, we're not here to judge. So when we last left off, uh, John was found not guilty of marital abuse spousal Mm -hmm. abuse i think they called it marital sexual assault sexual assault that's right yeah he was found not guilty and now we're gonna get into lorena's trial which as one of the jurors called it was the super bowl and john's trial was like a playoff game so who even gives a fuck about the playoff games (sighs) right i know it's like who won the match whatever (laughs) Before we jump in today, just a reminder that on the Patreon at the $10 level, we're doing Confession Killer. We just finished up Don't Fuck With Cats. We got some more stuff coming. We also did um, Chris Watts, mm-hmm. Family Man, Family Murderer. Yep. And at the $7 level, you get the mixtape, which is a different kind of mini every week. We, we are supposed to be doing mini-episodes, but we keep accidentally doing, like... Full episodes. Yeah. I mean, essentially what it is, is it's just not quite an hour long. It's a condensed version of an actual episode. Yes, exactly. But they're usually, like... Our condensed versions are actual um in-depth versions <laughs> they have an uncanny resemblance to a regular episode <laughs> <laughs> so anyway those are the you know the things and then at five dollars a month you get one bonus episode a month so be yeah so just a reminder about those things and there are reasons to join oh yeah lots of lots of cool stuff going on in there all up in there oh too far a little bit <laughs> Oh, uncomfortable. Not bad. The eye contact and everything. You guys didn't get that, but I did. I didn't break it. Not at all. <laughs> I don't in even blink, dear you? <laughs> all right. So now we'll jump back into Lorena. In 1994, her trial started, and they called it the "Cut Heard Round the World." Of course, court TV aired the trial because they got their reporter in there. You know to get it on. They were selling t-shirts again. You know, the same kind of stuff was happening. Like, everybody's outside trying to capitalize on all of this. And this time, you know, at John's trial, they could only talk about those five days before the incident happened. Well, this time, they got to talk about the whole relationship. Thank God. Yeah. The opening arguments for her attorneys focused on how Lorena was timid and weak she was a woman that was beaten and abused. The prosecution didn't contest this, but they said, no matter the circumstances, you can't take the law into your own hands. The defense attorney, Lisa Kimler, said in opening statements, it was his penis that she could not escape, and a life is more valuable than a penis. What a novel idea. (laughs) Like, who would have thought, right? exactly. The trial was never about, like, guilt or innocence, necessarily. It was about why it happened and did Lorena deserve to be punished. John testified that Lorena didn't want him working at a bar because women would hit on him and she was jealous. And he claimed that she would be like checking up on him all the time. Friends testified that they were with the Bobbits at King's Dominion when Lorena kind of snapped and started scratching him while John just stood there and took it. So they're trying to make her out to be this, like, quote unquote, crazy bitch who flies off the handle because she's so jealous, because her husband, who was a Marine, who's in good shape and all these things, is so fucking hot that women can't keep their hands off of him and she wants them all to herself. That's what John's trying to paint this picture at this point. Wow. A friend of Lorena's said that they had previously had conversations with Lorena about what they would do if their husbands ever cheated on them. And her friend on the stand testified that Lorena said she'd cut his dick off because that would hurt him more. And I mean, that doesn't sound good, but I feel like so many people say that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's that one of those things that's like, well, he'll, I'll kill him before we get a divorce. Yeah. Like, you just say that because, but also, how many women are like, if you ever cheat on me, I'll cut your dick off? Yeah, exactly. I've said that. I know I've said that. Everybody has said that. I'm pretty sure, you know, like, it's just something that you say. Yeah. That does improve premeditation. Like, no, that's like looking, that's digging for something. Yeah. I mean, if that's all they have to prove premeditation, then like, okay, fine. I, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, we what can do with that. Of course, they brought up again that during the interview with police, like hours after this happened, that Lorena had said that John always had orgasms and he never waits for her to have one. He didn't care. She said he was selfish. That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with this case. It's probably 100% true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But. But that's not her reason for it. Like, that's, that's them being like, she got pissed because she didn't get to have an orgasm. And so she turned around and cut his dick off and was like, well, you don't get to have one anymore. Okay. So Lorena does testify in her trial as well. And when she got on the stand, Lorena was asked when she and John Wayne Bobbitt first met. She said that they met in September of 1988 when she was 19 years old. She said she was in love with John and he was the start to her family in America. When she first came to America, she stayed with her family friends and they had a pretty strict household and witnesses describe Lorena as quiet and naive. When she met Lance Corporal Bobbitt at a Marine Corps ball, he asked her to dance and she said there was like immediate chemistry. He asked her for her number. She'd never dated anyone else before and she was enthralled by John. She said that they dated for 10 months and during that time, they went on chaperone <laughs> dates to get pizza or ice cream. Oh. yeah. Lorena said that her family would not have allowed unchaperoned dating or premarital sex. The Castros, which were the, the family friends that she was staying with, they didn't like John. They said that anytime they went out, he always drank and always coincidentally forgot his wallet Meaning Lorena always had to pay. Oh, I totally forgot that. How convenient for What you, John? dude leaves the house without his fucking wallet? It's always there. Like, every once in a while, you're, you'll forget. But it stays in your pocket. Like... You would feel it, yeah, right? that's on purpose. So, one day, John invited Lorena to the pool. And she said that while they were swimming... This is so ridiculous. While they were swimming, he found a ring with a bow on top and proposed marriage with it. Found it in a pool wow. He was like, oh, you know what? Here's a ring. How about we get engaged? And she was like, okay, you can't say that if you're not serious. Like, this has to be a real proposal. And he was like, no, I'm serious. So, he proposes to her with this fucking garbage (laughs) ring that he found. Yeah. And they got married and Lorena's family was happy that she married an American because now she can stay. She said when they were dating, everything was happy. Things were good. But that changed immediately when they got married. John could not keep a job. They ended up buying a small house, but when he got discharged from the Marines, Lorena was the sole breadwinner. They couldn't make ends meet on her salary alone, and their house was foreclosed on. So she's just immediately let down and taking care of everything herself. He's not trying to help at all. He's just like, well, I don't know. I can't keep a job. I think he couldn't keep a job because he was a fucking alcoholic. He was drunk all the time. Well, yeah, that wasn't his priority to take care of the family or do anything that was beneficial to the family. Yeah, exactly. He was looking out for number one. So during that time, Lorena said that she started shoplifting and she ended up stealing over $7,000 from her employer over time. Like she would just... Take some money out of the register. And if you haven't watched the documentary, you really should because, and I don't know, maybe her, maybe her testimony is on YouTube or something, but the, the documentary has a lot of her testimony and, you know, she's like, I, I'm not a thief. I'm not a thief. Like, that's not who I am. But I couldn't make our payments. Like, I couldn't pay our bills. And I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. Like, I could only make so much money. And I only had so much time. Like, she's working all the time. She works late. She's going in early. Like, all these things. She's doing what she can. And John's just simply not gonna help. So, she resorted to stealing. Witnesses in the apartment complex and co-workers did testify to abuse. So now we can finally get some people to come in and corroborate some of these incidents and show that pattern of abuse because this is the thing with abusers. A lot of times it starts out behind closed doors. It's just the two of you. But eventually they kind of start to let that mask slip a little bit. Their rage starts to come out. They can't control it as much anymore. So they'll end up starting to do stuff in front of other people. Or, I mean, in an apartment complex, you can hear Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff, you know, if you're like the next door neighbor. So there's definitely situations where... Other people are witnesses to this too. It is not just a he said, she said situation. So, one of the events was a month after they got married when they were coming home from a night out. Lorena said that she and John were leaving a place called Chelsea's Club and John had been drinking. He was driving and she said he was like zigzagging in the car and going like 85 to 90 miles an hour. Oh my God. She was terrified. While he was driving, he punched her in the chest after she grabbed the steering wheel to try to correct it because I'm sure she was fearing for her life. And during that ride, John's brother, Todd, was in the back seat, nodding and encouraging John. When they all got home, John grabbed Lorena by the arm and kicked her because she was crying. Okay. So an officer showed up because she called the police. And John opened the door, and he was immediately, of course, like, calm. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. The officer asked Lorena if she had somewhere she could go, and she told him that she didn't have anywhere to go, but she'd leave anyway. So she said she took her car and parked in the parking lot at her work, and she just slept in her car that night because she had really nowhere else to go. <sighs> And she said that she didn't tell anybody else about that because she was embarrassed and she didn't understand it herself. And that was the first, you know, because they've had this relationship, this dating relationship where she believes he's a loving partner and he cares about her and he wouldn't do anything to hurt her and she trusts him. And so then a month into the marriage, something like this happens and she's thinking, she's telling herself this has to be a one-time incident. This can't be something that happens all the time. This isn't the John that I know. Exactly. This isn't him. Something happened. So, you know, he'll change. He didn't change. He kept pushing her, shoving her, kicking her. Neighbors saw and heard them arguing. Uh, John was intimidating, and he quote-unquote backed her down. Um, The Castro's children testified that there was a Christmas when they were all together. John gave Lorena a box and wanted her to open it in front of everyone. She did, and it was a pair of tiny underwear. And she hit it and was really embarrassed. And so she got up and walked out of the room, and John was following right behind her. He grabbed her and pushed her up against the wall, and Lorena asked him to put her down. And he pushed her another time and then muttered bitch to her. What is that? Yeah. A- and like, again, around other people. So, you know, this is not a situation where it's like, okay, now that we're going to trial, Lorena is now busting out that. He's been abusing her, and nobody else has ever seen it, and nobody else has ever heard it. She's never called the police. You know, that happens, again, because of the not reporting kind of thing. But, you know, it, it, this isn't that situation either. Like, there is a record. Police testify that there were at least a half dozen reports and that John had been arrested for assault and battery once. Multiple people said they witnessed the abuse or saw marks on Lorena. Uh, Jana said she saw marks on her. Co-workers saw him get mad at her in a bar. Neighbors heard the commotion. One neighbor heard a ruckus and Lorena told her that John had raped her. That neighbor is the one who gave her the pamphlets they found the night of the incident. And people just described... Bruises all over her. There were pictures of Lorena with bruises from her police reports. Uh the reports would say, you know, left wrist contusion, that he'd been choking her. And none of this was brought up in John's trial. No, it couldn't be. I have no words. I know, I know, cuz he got a he got a fucking not guilty verdict. Mm-hmm. I can't. Um neighbors noticed thick makeup. Like, they would say that there were definitely days that when they saw her that her makeup was, like, really, really thick and she didn't normally wear it so thick. It was a very... cover up. Yeah. It was was definitely different. So, they knew something was going on. Lorena testified that John liked anal sex and that he would come home drunk at, like, three or four o'clock in the morning and would force her to have sex that way. And... John would also brag to guys he played basketball with and have quote-unquote guy talk where he would talk about how he liked to make girls squirm and bleed. I'm offended. Like, what the fuck? That is... (laughs) What does that even mean? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I can't. He said he liked it when they begged for help and he liked forcing them to have sex. And... Three of his quote-unquote friends testified to this. So he said this to multiple people. Multiple people had the same story, and these people still to this day remember these conversations and think, I thought it was fucked up. Like, why would you say that? You know, and then Lorena has to relive all of this trauma. She's got to talk about it again because she's got to go through it in the trial. And... If you do watch the documentary, it's so it's so sad and emotionally like moving to watch her testimony. She is having a, a reaction. It's very difficult for her to get through this testimony. Um, she's having trouble breathing at times. Um, you can tell that she's having a lot of anxiety. Like you can you can tell that she is reliving. Trauma. This is very different than Jody Arias getting on the stand and being like, "Yeah, he would call me a bitch. He would call me a whore." You had to bring her up. Uh, I know. Yeah, he would say stuff that I didn't appreciate. He raped me. You know, she's saying these things like, "We had sandwiches for lunch that day. I went to H and M. Yeah, I got the sweater at Target. Just talking about it like it's nothing." okay y'all if you are looking for a new true crime podcast which i think you always are you should give true crime couple a try they are a fun-loving newly married couple from new jersey that covers some of the more obscure cases from all over the world and ones you haven't heard of before or that have been covered a million times which is something that i know you guys love kay a high school history teacher and john a teamster in new york city provide interesting insights to some of the most interesting and gruesome crimes that have ever been committed. Follow along as Kay unfolds a story for both you and her husband, John, to hear. The twists, the turns, and the occasional banter will have you hooked on the show and these two. Some of the reviews that I've seen are about how detailed the research is and how much respect the couple has for the victims, which I know is important to all of us. So if you're into a research-based podcast, give True Crime Couple a try. You can find them on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Lorena is her her testimony is so genuine. I cried watching it. I mean, it's just it's so heartbreaking to see how traumatized she was. It's it's awful. And when they asked her about when John would do this to her, um, would he ask her if she was okay with having anal sex? No, he wouldn't. Did he use any lube? No, he didn't. I mean, that's torture. That's horrible. And she said that they asked if, if it would injure her, and she said yes, it would make her bleed, which apparently is John's favorite thing. Anyway, and she said that he would threaten to do it again pretty much every time they had sex. Like, he would threaten her with doing that and probably to watch her squirm. Right. Oh, my God. I just, I just can't. They did end up having John testify to try to make him look more credible and sympathetic. And they were like, you know... move, Cotton. Yeah. Have you ever hit your wife? No, absolutely not. Have you ever forced her to have sex with you? No, of course not. And he was asked if he'd ever pushed, grabbed, or restrained his wife. And he said, yes, many times, yes. And they were like, okay, well, you know, why did you do that? And he was like, well, I had to push her or restrain her from hitting me because she attacked me all the time. And he would tell her, it's not ladylike to strike out. That's enough to make me want to go on a rampage. I know. I we should have done a warning at the beginning of this that said, You're gonna flip a table and pop the fuck off. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's maddening. No man is gonna tell me what is ladylike or not ladylike. Like, who are who the fuck are you? Yeah, exactly. So the the defense attorney was like okay, so you're saying you've never hit your wife. And he's like, no, I've never hit her. And he's like, well, do you remember filling out this questionnaire um, with the police and admitting to striking your wife? And he's like, "Mm, no, I don't remember this. And they show him the document where he did fill it out and he signed it at the bottom. And he's like, no, I I don't remember. I don't remember. They're like, well, is this your signature? Did you sign this statement? Yeah, it's my signature. I just... I just don't remember this happening, and I don't remember filling it out. So he'd been previously charged with assault and battery, and he entered a guilty plea. So they ask him about this. Why did you plead guilty? Well, on the stand, he says, I didn't plead guilty. I didn't know I was pleading guilty. And they're like... I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Yeah, he's like, no, I didn't. I never pleaded guilty. So they brought the officer who responded to that call on the stand, and they said... You know, did you have occasion to visit the Bobbitt's house on a call or whatever? He's like, yeah, I did. Because John said he didn't remember the police officer coming to the house either. And he didn't remember answering the door or anything like that. So when they bring the police officer up, he's like, yeah, I was there. John answered the door. And yeah, he entered a guilty plea. Like, I was there for all of that. This was his statement. He signed it. Like... Of course. Of course he did. Yeah. But he just doesn't remember it. So I don't know, maybe they can't get him on perjury if he says he doesn't recall. But he's obviously lying. Yeah. All right, so John's attorney said in a press conference that John was, quote-unquote, incapable of lying. Well, what he actually said was he was incapable of telling the truth. And he's still, he's going on and on about it, because in his mind he's saying what he thinks he's supposed to say, but everybody's like, huh? John is incapable of telling the truth. He's always been incapable of telling the truth and he will always be. Wait, hang on. What did I just say? So awkward. And he's like, you know, plays it off pretty well. Oh, I shouldn't. Glad I didn't say it on the stand. Yeah, but it's like hmm, Freudian slip there. Right. I wonder what Mr. Fraser Crane would have to say about that. Mm. Or, you know, Sigmund Freud, whatever. Yeah, whoever. Whoever. But what he was saying was that he he tried to be as like diplomatic as possible, but he was like, he lacks the complexity to formulate the lie and then formulate the cover-up that you then have to formulate to keep the lie a secret. And the translation, for those of us who are not complex enough... To understand. John Wayne Bobbit is a dumb dumb. Yeah. Ignoray moose. <laughs> just plain moose Yeah. I don't think that's what it was. I think it's just plain dumb. Fuck. <laughs> I'm an I'm a just plain ignoray moose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if I see what he's trying to do there, but John Bobbit is one hundred percent capable of lying. He may not be very smart. He may not be smart in the way he tells his lies, but he's capable of lying. Well, yeah, being smart and being a liar are completely different things. And you can't, they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, he's not a good liar. Right. But I think that the defense putting him on the stand, like when he was on the stand and they're asking him about those documents that he signed and then they bring the police on that say, yeah, I went to his house, he did plead guilty, he knew he was pleading guilty. Like, the only inference you can draw from those things is that he's lying. I mean, he did try to say he didn't remember a few times like we talked about, but his testimony portrayed him, I think, as cavalier, as a liar. He didn't seem to care really? I mean, he just seemed callous. Yeah, very callous, yeah. And Lorena's testimony seemed genuine. She seemed to be having a traumatic experience having to talk about these things. It was like she was reliving real trauma. Mm-hmm. I don't it did not come across made up. No. I don't think, and I don't think the jury felt that way either. I'm just surprised though that all of that being said, people were still like, well, I don't think he did it. You know, like, I don't, I don't think he's guilty of that. And to, to find him not guilty is just the dummiest thing I've ever heard. Totally dummy. Well, and also, I don't really understand why they only charged him with marital sexual assault the one time. Like, I guess it was just one count of it. Because it was only, they were only alleging it happened the night of the incident. And that's all they were charging him with. Because of that, you know, they couldn't talk about anything other than the five days before or whatever. So she didn't, you know, you weren't able to lay out that pattern of behavior, but I don't know why they didn't just charge him with more counts of it, or I don't know. I mean, I'm not really sure what the thought process was there, but if he'd gotten charged with some of those other times, because there were other times that, you know, people knew that stuff happened, then maybe some of those other uh, witnesses could have been brought into his trial. Mm Mm-hmm. Lorena was asked... As every woman in an abusive relationship is, why didn't you leave? And she said that she was in love and she wanted to give John a chance. She was raised Catholic and when you got married, you stayed married. And she said that her parents had been married for a long time and that she had been a virgin when she married John. And in her family and in her culture, divorce is a failure. Well, her parents have been together for their entire lives. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was obviously an expectation Yeah. there. Yeah. I get, like, where we are now versus where things were in the 90s has changed, albeit not as much as it should. Mm-hmm. I think that, well, I don't know, saying that is not really even that fair, but the thing that really pisses me off, well, there's a ton of things that piss me off about this case and about domestic assault or sexual assault in general. Yeah when people who think that they know better and they're, well, why did, if it was that bad, why didn't you leave? Right. Yeah. Who the fuck are you? I also do think though that it can be hard to understand if you've never been in that situation, but that is, that's not asking. I mean, I guess it's asking for the sake of the, you know, like if, if, if something's that bad, wouldn't you try anything to get out of it? But it's also accusatory. Yeah, yeah. Saying it that way definitely is. I just know that, like, when I, when I started dating Andrew, I don't know, we'd been dating for a while. And when we talked about my whole situation with the ex boyfriend that had been abusive towards me, he couldn't understand that either. He was like, "Why didn't you just break up with him? Like I don't understand why you would, why you would put up with that or why you would allow somebody to treat you that way? Like why would you not just break up with him?" And I'm like, "It's just not that easy." Like, it I mean, it upset me when he asked me that. Um, well, but I think that there is a difference here or that for that too, like depending on how you ask the question. Like if you just genuinely do not understand and want to know versus like okay, well. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I'm trying to work on my attitude towards stuff like that, too. Like, if somebody asks a question, instead of me trying to take it like... They're attacking you. Yeah. I'm trying to take it as an opportunity just to educate and be like, okay, well, you're asking because you don't know. Right. So, let me explain to you. And then they're going to do with that information whatever it is that they're going to do with it. But I think in uh, today's world, we've got a lot of attacking back because we feel attacked by questions when some people just don't know being on the defense yeah there's and you don't you don't know what you don't know if you have lived in a world where you weren't exposed to certain things it's like you don't even know it's out there right so well yeah and i feel like it you don't know somebody's intent like the right yeah the intention behind it yeah yeah so that's true i it just it hearing the way that it was portrayed, because there were no cameras for John Wayne Hobbits, that, I just feel like they, everybody was all ready to assume the worst in Lorena. I think, yeah, I think at that time, I think you're very right. A lot of people would say, well, it couldn't have been that bad because she stayed with him. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is hard to understand. But you've got like, I mean, I feel like it was semi around this time that Martina's song came out. What, what uh, was the name of that song? Independence Day. Independence Day. Yeah. And that's what that song was about. I think it was probably 96, so maybe a couple years later. Okay. Yeah. So that, you know, that topic was not in the mainstream media as much until after this. And there were other there were other um situations, things that happened as well. This wasn't the only thing, but um you know, a year later however many years later, you've got the OJ Simpson trial, um, which was shining a light on a lot of things, the racial divide, but also domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Because it, it can happen and you can stay for a long time. And that doesn't negate it happening that I read an article that said, you know, somebody going back to somebody who's been abusive to them, doesn't mean that the person hasn't been abusive. It just shows that humanity has an intense capability for forgiveness and love, and in some cases, just utter denial. And it doesn't mean that that person deserves it. Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. One of the things that Lorena really, really wanted, you know, I think one of the reasons she kept giving John a chance was because she wanted a family. And during the trial, um, she was asked when she first became aware that she was pregnant. So it was in the spring of 1990 that she had deliberately stopped taking her birth control and she got pregnant. She said that um, she was just hopeful that that would change John changed the state of their marriage. Um, She just hoped that it would be the family that she'd always wanted. And according to John, he did not know about the pregnancy until he came home from work one day and she put a bib around him. He said he was shocked, but he told her they weren't ready for a baby and they couldn't afford it. I love, love, love how skewed John is with the actual events that took place. You know, he's like, right? well, I just, you know, I said, hey we're we're not ready for that. And let's just call that that uh-huh. rather than flying off the handle. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he said she just wanted too much too fast. She wanted, and he did say she talked all the time about my American dream, my American dream. And she does say that. I heard her say it in the documentary a couple times. So that's one thing um, that maybe he told the truth about that she called it my American dream. But he said she just wanted too much too fast. She wanted to live like Janna. She wanted a nice house. She wanted a nice car. She wanted a husband, a family, you know, kids, all these things. Well, but what's wrong with that? Because what she ended up getting was a deadbeat husband that wouldn't fucking help around any any way, financially, emotionally, anything. Well, and I mean, I know not every couple after they get married has kids immediately or anything like that. I mean, you know. Some do, some don't. Yeah, but they'd been married for four years at that point. Three years when she got pregnant, I think, so... And she wasn't getting emotional, any emotional support or any real love. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm I'm sorry. I was thinking by the time the incident happened, when she got pregnant, they'd been married for, I think, a year. Mm -hmm. My bad, but still. That happens, you know. I think we were married for a year when we got pregnant. And Andrew was like, um, <laughs> are you sure we're ready? And I was like, well, get ready. Come coming. Ready. But, um, yeah, his his view of or his recollection of things are 100% different than Lorena's recollection. Because he's like, oh, you know, I just said we weren't ready. We couldn't afford it. And um, that probably we needed to get an abortion. And Lorena agreed she was totally fine with that. And even after the abortion happened, she, I don't know, she kind of felt bad for like that night and the next day a little bit. But by the time we went to bed the next night, she was fine. And I just gave her a hug and was like, you know, let's just like forget about this. What's done is done. Move on. She's carried this around with her the whole rest of her life. Plus the beatings that were involved. Plus. Yeah. Yeah. Because according to Lorena, John got Absolutely pissed when she told him that she was pregnant. And he told her that he she'd make a terrible mother. And he said that if she had the baby, he wasn't going to help out, which I'm sure she was like, no shit. And he said it was either him or the baby. Mm-hmm. And he said if she left him that he would keep all of her papers so she couldn't become a U.S. citizen. Yeah. So, he's he's saying it like you have a choice here, but the choice is made. There's no there's no choice. Exactly. And he said that you're just going to have an abortion. It's what bad girls do. What the fuck? So, Lorena talked to her boss, Jana, because Jana had had a few abortions before. So, Jana told her it, it wasn't that bad. And besides... There was another girl that worked at the salon that was pregnant, so Jana was like, I really don't want two people taking off at the same time, so it really won't be that bad. Like, go for it. This actually works better for me. Thank you so much. Yes, exactly. So, on June 15th, 1990, Lorena and John went to the clinic. John went with her because he wanted to make sure she actually went through with it, and while at the clinic, Lorena testified that John kept teasing her about how big the needles were going to be. And how bad everything was going to be. He was, like, freaking her out about it. And the nurse ended up having to separate her from John because she was having so much anxiety from the things that he was saying to her. John seems like, and I don't think that this is a secret or going to be a surprise to anyone, drunk John, the fucking worst. Sober John, the fucking worst. Like, there's nothing redeeming in him. No, he has no good qualities. No. At all. Except he does have blue eyes and that's pretty. Not anymore. I mean, they don't look pretty anymore, I guess. Well, right. But At I'm, one time. I'm trying to find one good thing about him. His hair looked okay in the 90s. It wasn't the worst hair I've seen in the 90s. Yeah. There yeah, you go. That, that's yeah. nice, yeah. yeah. So, after the abortion, Lorena said that she felt so guilty and she just completely fell apart. She couldn't eat, she felt weak, she felt sick. And that, you know, John saying that she was totally okay with it, to me, completely contradicts how she was brought up, how committed she was to her Catholic faith because she was she was deeply religious and that went against her religious beliefs. So, did he it, know her but at all? Exactly. Like it doesn't make any sense for her to be like yeah, you know, it's totally against my um, my faith, my beliefs, the convictions that I have. Um, and I'm desperate to become a mother because that's something that's really important to me. But I'll go ahead and have this abortion. That's not a big deal. No problems there. I don't see her going willingly because it went against so many things that she believed. You can't rewrite someone's makeup like that. <laughs> exactly. Up until this point in the relationship, um, Lorena testified, you know, they had fights and, and things weren't always great, but this is how abuse happens, right? It escalates over time. So, after the abortion is when she said that the forced sex began, because after that point, she said she didn't want to have sex anymore. She didn't want to have sex with him. She didn't want to have sex with anybody. She just, she became kind of a shell, you know? Understandably so. Exactly. And at that point, John was like, well, fuck it. I'll get it however I'm going to get it. Like, that wasn't a problem for him. Plus, I guess that excited him more anyway. And during that time, they bought their house and John left the Marine Corps. He started bouncing at a bar, which Lorena wasn't comfortable with. And what little money he made, he didn't make much money doing this, he kept for himself and let Lorena... Take care of all the other... Shoulder all the expenses. Well, and let's think about this. He is an alcoholic, right? Yes. Working at a bar? Right. Yeah, I have... He said she didn't want him to work at the bar because she didn't want women to flirt with him, which may have had something to do with it. I can't imagine, though, that he was like, come on, ladies, I'm married. Exactly. And then... She knows that he's got a problem with drinking because when he gets violent, it's when he's drinking typically. And from what I've heard about him, it's three beers and that's all it takes. You know what I mean? Or three it's, drinks. Yeah, me. exactly. She's not the only person to say that he's violent when he's drinking alcohol. So, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, it's like if you're at a bar, if you get off work, you're just going to keep drinking. Or maybe he drank on the job, or I don't know. But I could, I mean, I could understand why she's not comfortable with that. Being his, like, uh, place of business. Yeah. Lorena testified that it was during that time in their relationship that she stole $7,200 from the salon that she worked at and took equipment home to work a seventh day from home to make more money. So, because she was already working the six days a week, so she took some stuff home without asking To try to work, you know, get people in at home. Yeah. And John was furious when he figured it out because she told him about it. And he was like, you've got to come clean with Jana. She did. And Jana just made her work off the money she stole. I'm kind of, I'm big surprised that she didn't fire her. Like, I don't know. Well, when you have somebody that's willing to work six days a week. Yeah, that's true. You know. So, not only is John refusing to help with any bills at that time, he was partying all the time with friends or his brother when he came into town, and now he's forcing sex on her in addition to the altercations that they were already having. But how shitty, I mean, very shitty all the way around, but, like, John is refusing to help at all, right? So, Lorena's up against a wall. She's got to do something. So, she, it's not the right thing to do, but she, she did something that she had to do, and then he's mad at her for that. Like, Mm -hmm fucking step up then yeah exactly that didn't make any sense to me either because it's like what do you want her to do exactly Like like that was money like you said it's not right but that's money to pay your bills like i don't know all of a sudden john has a conscience it's interesting what things are off limits to him exactly yeah and the violence in the fight started to escalate as well Lorena testified that John was always really good at hiding his violence from other people, and so many abusers are. That's not unique to John. But he did slip from time to time, just like, you know, a serial killer does when they, they'll they start to get sloppy, you know, leave evidence or whatever it is after they've been doing it for a while. It's just you start to get brazen. You start to think, I'm not going to get caught or she's not going to say anything or nobody's going to say anything because at that point, people had witnessed some things here or there and nobody said anything, so he's like, you know, what's gonna happen? On Thanksgiving of 1993, John and Lorena got into an argument about what they were watching on TV, so I guess John was watching probably football. Lorena's mom was there to visit, so Lorena was like, I want her to see the parade, so instead of asking John if it was okay if she changed the channel, she switched it to the parade. He flipped out. He went up to the roof, he disconnected the TV antenna, and he comes back downstairs. And so she's like, okay, well, I guess we're going to go see a movie then since the TV is not working. So he took her keys. He disabled her car engine somehow, just made it to where either she couldn't start the car or it wouldn't run. So then she's like, okay, well, I'll take your car then. So she goes out to try to take his car, and he went out to get into his car so she couldn't take it. And he ended up driving off really fast. And I don't know if she was like holding out at the door or something. Whatever happened, he didn't run over her with his car, but he knocked her down with the car because he was driving off so erratically. And she called and reported that to the Marine Corps. Now, if we said that Lorena was the only person to have filed complaints in the marriage, that would also be untrue. Because like we said before, the, the law enforcement had said there'd been a half dozen calls that they'd responded to out there. Lorena was not the only person to call the police. John did call the police a few times, too. So, they would call the police on each other. They would allege that the other was being violent. And Lorena did have a temper of her own. I mean, everybody does. Um, on one occasion, she scratched John's face in public. I think we talked about that in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um And she was actually later arrested in 1997, this is after everything happened, uh, and charged with assaulting her mom. So after her parents moved to the U.S. from Venezuela after all this happened, nobody seems to really know why. It's never been, like, I couldn't find it in any of the reports or anything, but people did see it and said they had to, like, pull Lorena off of her. She started hitting her, I guess. But then once they got to court for it, Lorena's mom said, Oh, these marks on my face. These are not from Lorena hitting me. I just had a really big pimple. Nothing happened. And she ended up being found not guilty. So, I don't know. So, I mean, it it does seem like there are times that Lorena has, and she was very young then, too. I mean, I don't know. It's still not right. But it seems like she's calmed down. In the years since then, but, um, you know, there, there definitely were times that she, she got physical too. There's just no denying it. Anyway, during this time, John and Lorena separated twice. John saying that Lorena would call and beg him to come home. Lorena saying she only called to ask for help with bills. Send some money. We still have the bills. Like, what are you doing? Um, It was during this time he told her about an affair that he'd had, and she says that he taunted her about it with comments about how she didn't deserve him and shaming her body. He would make racial comments and, like you said, threaten to take away her paperwork from immigration. Um, He threatened to have her deported, and then she wouldn't have a green card. He would call her an alien and a foreigner and tell her she didn't deserve to be in this country. By April of 93, their house had been foreclosed on. They moved into the apartment where the incident took place, and they had recently reconciled and Lorena was hopeful about their future. But shortly after that, John told her that his friend Robbie was going to stay with them for a while. And, you know, before that, his brother had stayed with him for a while. Like, he would have these long-term house guests of either friends or relatives or whatever That would come into town and then just stay with them for however long they wanted to stay. Not contribute. Not contribute. And then he would go out and party with them every night, pretty much. So, when, you know, they've just gotten back together. They've both made promises that they're going to do better and this relationship is actually going to work now. And then he's like, oh, by the way, Robbie's going to come live with us for a while. She's like, you've already fucked it up. Like, you've already gone back on what we said we were going to do. Like, this does not help the marriage. No, the last thing they need is somebody in there. And him going out drinking all the time. Exactly. Yeah. If it, at this point, if it doesn't directly help the marriage, it's hurting the marriage. Exactly. Like, you're not in a position where you can add stressors to it. Mm-hmm. Lorena testified that in early June of 93, she'd purchased a tape recorder in order to get evidence of the verbal abuse that was going on because by this point, she knew she wanted a divorce. I mean, it didn't take long after Robbie moved in that she was like, fuck the shit, I'm I'm leaving. And she wanted proof of what was going on just so that she would have it. Yeah, (laughs) that way you have it. Yeah. Unfortunately, John found the tape recorder. She said that that led to him beating her and raping her. And he told her that if she resisted sex, that he would just have anal sex with her. And if she left him, he'd follow her and rape her. He said that he could have sex with her anywhere he wanted to, any way he wanted to, at any time he wanted to, whether or not they were together. (sighs) So, she's terrified. Well, and the fact that he has already raped her, I mean... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she believes him. She believes him. Because it's been true. Yeah. And Lorena said that the only time that she felt peace was when John wasn't home. Otherwise, she said she was full of anxiety, she couldn't eat or sleep, and her health was deteriorating. Here's the thing, just because a woman doesn't tell anyone about abuse obviously does not mean it's not happening. Like, if Lorena had never told anybody about this until the incident or whatever, that that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. But from a legal standpoint, obviously, it's really helpful to have the witnesses or the corroboration or that you've told somebody or or whatever it is. So like those tape recordings would have been really nice to have. Right. It's nice to have receipts and a paper trail and all these things. Yeah. And and Lorena did have people that were aware of it. She did have, you know, friends, family members, um, other people in the apartment complex that, that could corroborate some of it. But she also had her family doctor that she told. So on June the 18th of 93, she complained of her handshaking, intense anxiety, insomnia, she was hyperventilating, and severe cramping, which some of that we saw with her testimony. If you watch the documentary, you see her experiencing those things on the stand. Those are all the same things that she's talking about she's experiencing on a daily basis at this point. And so the her family doctor's name is Dr. Inman. And so when Dr. Inman was like, what do you think the possible source of this stress could be? Like, it sounds like you're under a lot of stress. She told her that she was having problems with her husband and that he was having sex with her without her permission. So that's documented as well. So it's not, you know, all of these things just make that case that much stronger. She did give her information for protective services, but Lorena did not call them at that time. On June 21st of 93, Lorena filed for a protective order, but she didn't get the order issued because the police officer told her to come back in like three to four hours because his secretary was at lunch. He's a man. He can't fill up paperwork himself. <laughs> well, that's below his pay grade. So. Exactly. Yeah. It, so, yeah, he said come back in a couple hours or in a couple days. hmm Okay. If you have somebody in there who's trying to get a protective order against their husband that they live with, And you tell them to come back in three or four hours, where do you think they're supposed to go? Exactly. Or in a couple days, where are they supposed to go? Like, you're going to send them just back home to just get off your ass and fill out the fucking paper? Well, and what is, what message is that sending to them? Like, it's not that big of a deal. We'll do it later. Exactly. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. Lorena, at that point, had essentially moved in with her neighbor, Diana Fletcher, but she was still sleeping at the house. She'd pretty much moved, like, all of her stuff over to the Fletchers. She had moved boxes out. Robbie testified to that um, during that time period, but John always came to find her, and Diana said that Lorena left their house a few nights before the incident, and when she did, she wasn't vengeful, she wasn't mad, she just said that Robbie was there So, she was like, he doesn't attack me usually when people are around, so I feel like I can at least be there until I get all of this stuff finalized. And uh, then, of course, we know that June 22nd, Lorena went to work. She said everything was normal that day. Later in the day, John called her, asked her what time she'd be home. Lorena told him that she'd be working until, like, 8 o'clock. So, John and Robbie went out that night, as per usual. John got home around 3 to 3.15 a.m., and Lorena said that she was awakened by door slamming, but then she fell back asleep. John testified that he fell asleep quickly, but about an hour later, he was touching her, and then he was on top of her, and then he went back to sleep. What does that even mean? When asked, though, by lawyers or whatever during the trial if he had had sex with her, he was like, couldn't tell you. No yeah. idea. Yeah, now he says he doesn't remember. But he maintains that he was pretty sober. Very so. yeah. And in other statements, he was adamant that, he had, that they had not had sex with her, that she was mad that he refused sex. He says that's why she cut his dick off, because he told her he didn't want to have sex with her and she just had to have it that bad. Hmm, I mean, I'm, I'm no, uh, expert. Sexpert, if oh, you will. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine it's that good, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, me either. Oh, you you told me that tonight's not the night you're too tired? Slice. It's off. Like, no. Yeah, I'm gonna go crazy if I don't get it. Yeah, I don't think so. And, you know, he keeps saying he wasn't drunk or whatever, but the fact that he laid there for as long as he did and he can't remember even if they had sex or not, you're telling me it's because you were tired? It's because you were hammered. (laughs) Exactly. No, 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 no. He was not hammered. He folded his clothes. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. So he was totally sober. Well, that's the only way you No. Yeah, know. Exactly. He later said that he heard her talking at some point, but he didn't respond because he was exhausted. So I don't know if this was him saying this was when she was asking for sex and he just ignored her. He was really, really holding strong on that exhaustion <laughs> Yeah, I was just so exhausted. Like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Drinking heavily is exhausting. Yeah. Oh, well, it is. And probably all the crystals you ate on the way home. That'll (laughs) knock you out. Or Taco Bell. Yeah. That'll do it every time. So, Lorena tells the court that he raped her. And she said she didn't want to have sex, but he wouldn't listen or let go of her. And she breaks down on the stand. And you you can see that her... Her testimony is real. It's emotional. She's going through a lot. It's really difficult to watch. I mean... She's so terrified, even just reliving it to tell about it. Yeah, exactly. She said that it it hurt. It was very painful. She very much maintains that she did not want to have sex that night. And he says that either... I mean... I guess on the stand, he said he didn't remember. But before that, and even in the documentary, he says that they didn't have sex that night. He, You know, he was sure, because the whole reason she got mad was because he wouldn't have sex with her. But when they did the rape kit on her, they did find semen. So they said that she had had sex... With somebody. Yeah, within, they said, within 72 hours of it. And if you go back to the days before that, they the last time they slept together... Lorena said consensually would have been Father's Day, which I think was, I don't know, a few days before that. So, it it corroborates her story, I believe. Well, and a man who had sex while intoxicated might not know. Like, that's entirely possible to be like, I have no idea what I did. hmm I feel like it's different for women, though, because it depends on the circumstance, but it's not just a male-female thing. It's, um... giving and receiving thing. Mm, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Something doesn't feel right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you can tell. Yeah. What has happened to your own body, I think. Exactly. She said that after he was finished, she felt numb and she said she walked like a zombie to the kitchen. She thought she could calm herself down with a glass of water. While she was drinking the water, the refrigerator door was open and the light was shining on a knife, so it caught her eye. And that's when she started thinking about all the other times that he had hurt her. And then the next thing she remembers, she said she was in her car and she was driving. She said she felt like she was in slow motion and she was still trying to drive, but it was hard for her to drive because she had the knife in one hand and in the other hand, John's manhood. His member. Mm, that's worse even than penis, I think. I think it is, too. I feel like they use member in all the, like, smutty historical romance. Well, intend Things I Hate About You. <laughs> oh, yeah. She uses member. She also uses bratwurst, but... Oh, yeah. She sure does. She does. does. Um, so, she got scared and she threw the dick out the window. Right into the grass over there, you know, like we like we said. And... She went to work in the middle of the night, she couldn't open the door, and then she realized that she still had the knife in her hand, and she was freaking out. So she went and threw the knife away into, I think, a garbage can. And then she said she was finally able to open the door, and she felt at peace because she just wanted to be safe. And apparently when she left the apartment, she grabbed her purse... And she stole Robbie's Game Boy. That's weird. Yeah. She stole $100 from Robbie at some point. I don't know if it was in the days before. I've seen it reported that she grabbed on her way out her purse $100 in the Game Boy. And then I've seen it reported that it she was took the, the $100 before that. Gotcha. Um, But she said she didn't remember having the Game Boy. Like, she didn't remember taking it. And she ended up giving it back to him because she was like, I don't even know why I have this, but. Well, Tetris isn't that good. <laughs> yeah. All I got to say about, well, that's not all I have to say, but the dick being in the grass, thank God it wasn't landscaping day. Can you imagine? There's Tina everywhere. <laughs> God. It's true, though. Does Princess Sophia want to come <laughs> out and <in the> play? <laughs> I think we should call it only his Princess Sophia. Ooh. Definitely not crawl the lawyer key. <laughs> yeah. The foreman of the jury, Clay, I don't know how to say his last name. Koukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukoukou it's Kokallus, yes. I don't love him. Yeah, I don't love him either. He was like, "I don't understand why she would remember all of the details of everything else, but she doesn't remember like even the she says she remembers even the light shining on the knife and all that kind of stuff. And then she doesn't remember stealing the Game Boy." And I'm like, "Well, but she's saying she remembers essentially everything before up until a that." Point. And then yeah. she like blocked it out or whatever. And the thing is, what I have learned personally and from all you know other cases If something is super traumatic for you, your body does things that are unexplainable and you can, for self-preservation purposes, block out entire periods of time. I've blocked out at least 12 years of our fucking childhood. I I don't get it. I'm always like, hey, do you remember when we used to play Graboids on the I do remember that. Well, I was just using it as an example, but now fuck me. Okay, fine. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember what you don't remember. I know. There, there definitely is stuff that Tori will be like, remember how we did this like every week for eight years? And I'm like, not ringing a bell. Not even a little bit. No. Yeah. I don't know if it's like the trauma of what happened with our mom and then I just erased a bunch before that or I don't know, but it, it. it definitely happens. On the tape-recorded interview at the police station, Lorena said, I was angry already, and I turned my back, and the first thing I saw was the knife. Then I took it, and I was just angry. I was just mad. Dr. Susan Feister, a forensic psychologist, testified for the defense. She was asked if she thought that Lorena suffered from any mental disorders at the time of the attack. She said she thought that Lorena was suffering from PTSD, major depressive disorder, and anxiety panic disorder. Dr. Feister testified that she didn't believe that Lorena was in control of her actions at the time of the incident, and she said that John had, quote, closed off every avenue of escape for her, so Lorena became psychotic and, quote, attacked the instrument of her torture. I mean, it makes sense to me. hmm It's like, that's the thing that hurts me all the time. Bye. Yeah, exactly. Symbolism, bitches. (laughs) Yeah. So, Dr. Feister testified that she believed Lorena's actions were consistent with irresistible impulse, which was their whole defense. So, there you go. Another doctor for the prosecution, though, did not agree. He said that Lorena got angry and that John had, quote, challenged her sense of control because she's the one who's been in control this whole time. Interesting. He said that she could have left or called 911, but she chose the knife. See, that pisses me off. It pisses me off. Because mm-hmm. he's like, you know, she could have taken the legal route or the whatever route, but instead she chose to do this. Well, John could have chosen not to be a dick the entire, his entire life, mm-hmm. but he did not mm-hmm. And he he created this environment for her. Yeah, and I'm not saying what she did was right, but she was backed against a wall, and like I said in the first episode, if you hit a dog so many times, they're gonna lash out. Yeah, like, it's just and one of the the friends or a neighbor, it was somebody that had been around John a few times, but he was like, it's that's how it goes. The noodle's gonna slip off the plate, mm-hmm. like you can't expect, how, what do you expect to to do this to somebody for so long to abuse them and abuse them and abuse them and then it just expect them to take it? Yeah. Like if the abuse is going to escalate, then the reaction to it is going to escalate. Right. Yeah. Because you, your fear begins to build and you go fight or flight. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, again, like, you know, obviously you can't just murder somebody. You can't just kill somebody. Even if they've been abusing you, you can't just go around killing people. Like, I get that. But, but she took different avenues to try to fix her situation and the government failed her. Like, yeah. with the order of protection and all of these things. Yeah. Like, well, and it kind of, I don't know, I guess it pisses me off. Pisses me off that... Tell me what pisses you off. In situations where... I mean, I'm just going to say a woman because this is, like, the cases that I've heard or whatever. Where a woman has been abused for a really long time and then she does finally kill her husband when she feels like she can, you know? Like, I know there was one case. I cannot remember the woman's name. I bet somebody listening will know exactly what I'm talking about. But she, this woman had been mostly mentally and verbally abused her entire relationship. But I, I can't remember how much physical abuse there was. But he was sitting at the table ready for breakfast because she fixes breakfast for him every morning and brought exactly it to the table. About. Red-handed did it. Yes, red-handed did it. Yeah. And she knocked him over the head with a hammer or something and killed him. It was in uh, It was an English case. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, there was the big thing about, well, he wasn't attacking you in that moment. And it's like, okay, but he had attacked me how many times before and I knew it was coming again. So, Do I try and... I'm only allowed to fight back when he's aggressive and attacking me. I can't take him. He's bigger than me. Exactly. And let's just say that that's the route that happens. Well, there are no witnesses. Because apparently, at that time especially, for any abuse case, you have to have witnesses. You have to. Yep. Unless you're a man, then you don't have to have witnesses apparently, but... And then what happens if... You are in the middle of an altercation, and you have the audacity to fight back. Well, you're just going to piss him off more. Now you've pretty much signed your own death warrant in plenty of situations. Exactly. So... And I didn't mean a man. Don't... Please don't come for me. I just meant, like, the aggressor. Yeah. Anyway, I guess we kind of went off on a tangent there, but... um, Well, there's so much to unpack in this case. Like, it's... (laughs) There is, yeah. It's loaded. And it's interesting to me that they're making... So many, you know, like you said, so many judgments about Lorena's quote-unquote choices, but that's all in defense of John, who had also plenty of choices. Well, yeah, this is what it feels like to me is like, well, boys will be boys, but why couldn't you get your shit together? Mm Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't have reacted that way. That's right. not a ladylike way to react. Oh, uh, Ooh. Yeah, that, yeah. Sorry. I'm so mad that you said that, that I'm going to hit you. I know. I didn't mean to put myself in the line of fire here. Then the defense calls Regina Keegan to the stand. She is my hero. I love her so much. I love and her. And how is it? I mean, I'm a fan of the 90s. Everybody knows that. I think we both are a very big fan of the 90s. Everybody from this case looks a million times better. They all except looked, for John. Well, yeah, except for <laughs> Bobbitt, but everybody else, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Everybody else seemed to have looked older than Lorena. Didn't look older, but but she looks like a million bucks now. But, but, but well, yeah, Keegan everybody did. else looked. She yeah. looked a lot younger. Now. now. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was how it was in the 80s and 90s. It's like, you wear big old glasses the and you style glasses. your hair weird and you always wear a scarf around your neck. Yeah. Like, you're, you're 24. Yeah, it made you, it made everybody look like old ladies, essentially. Uh, Uncle Buck's mom. I mean, Uncle Buck's mom. The mom and Uncle Buck. Uh-huh. The yeah. hair and that looked. scarf. Yes. Oh my God. So, Regina was a client at the nail salon and happened to get a manicure and her brows waxed by Lorena on June 17th. So, this is a few days before everything happened. And she said that when... That she got the manicure and her eyebrows waxed and everything, and she said that the manicure was terrible. Her eyebrows were not even. And she could tell that Lorena was uneasy. Like, she was stressed out or something. She wasn't performing well. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but your eyebrows are supposed to be sisters, not twins, okay? Yeah, that's true. That's true. But maybe they were more like cousins. I don't know. Distant cousins. Twice removed. Yeah. So... She said when she sat down to do the manicure that Lorena pulled her sleeves up to get started, and she's covered in bruises on her forearms. And, like, all the way around, like, somebody grabbed her. Yes. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, what happened to your arms? And so Lorena was like, oh, shit, and just pulled her sleeves back down. She initially didn't want to talk about it. So then Regina said that her breathing started to change. She started kind of hyperventilating. Her hands started shaking. And Lorena had tears in her eyes, and Regina's like, tell me what's going on. Like, there's something going on. So Lorena said that her husband had hurt her, and Regina said that she'd also told her that her husband was going to drop her over the rails at their apartment and tell everyone that she jumped. So that was the threat that he'd made on her life. The thing about Regina being a precious angel is... People could have. People probably saw her all day long and nobody was like, what happened to you, girl? You mm-hmm. know, like, Regina wasn't her only guest that she had. Yeah, exactly. I think some people see either an injustice or something like that happen. They're like, well, that, that's not my problem. Uh-huh. Yeah, somebody else will handle that. So, yeah, she definitely went above and beyond to ask about it. She gave her, like, information about ways that she could get help. And she even was like, you can stay with me. Like, come stay with me if you need to get away from him and she said that Lorena was like, no, he'll kill you. He'll kill me, and he'll kill you. Like, he will find me. It seemed like the way she was talking about it was that Lorena didn't want to put her in danger, too. And she was like, well, I I was scared for her, but, I mean, if she wasn't gonna leave, I, I didn't know what else I could do for her. Flash forward to several months later, she hadn't really thought much about it. She sees the TV, and she sees the stuff about the Bobbitt case. And she initially thought and had written down like in her day planner that the woman who did her nails that day, her name was Lena. She had misunderstood on the phone and so didn't call her Lorena, called her Lena. So when she'd heard some stuff about Lorena Bobbitt, she didn't think anything of it. But when she saw it on the TV and she saw her walking out, she was like, that's the girl. That's the girl that did my nails. That's the woman that was telling me her husband was abusing her. Like, oh my gosh, how surreal to yeah. see that all unfold. Because this is, what, June when the incident happened. And then we're talking January, December, something like that, when it all unfolds. Because, yeah, the trials happened when it was, like, bitter cold. Yeah, exactly. So she immediately called the prosecution. Because during this time, John's trial was going on. So she called the prosecution and was like, hey, I have some information for you. So this is why I liked Ebert. I mean, he's he's got some, uh, you know... Some things that maybe are not everybody's favorite, but yeah, this I liked about him. Well, I think that deep down, you got to give credit where credit's due. And he might, you know, not everybody's going to be your cup of tea, but I think he's got a good, he's a good man at heart. Yes, because he also didn't have to do this. So when Regina called him and said, I've got information, he said, <laughs> and this is what she said, he said, he said, son of a bitch, if I had had this, I could have nailed that bastard. I mean, he definitely, like, he wouldn't outright say he wanted to convict John, but you could see that he wanted to convict John. He was like, there's nothing I can do with this because the jury already has his case. Like, it's I can't late. go back now. Yeah.' And so he could have left it at that and said, thanks, but it's too late. He said, but you know what? You can help Lorena. And he knew full well he was going to prosecute her after this, but he gave her... Lorena's defense attorney's phone number and gave her like the The back back line. Yeah. So that she definitely got through. He's like, if this doesn't work, try his beeper. And if that doesn't work, then just send him a fax. Exactly. And I'll give you his home fax number and his bathroom fax number in case (laughs) that one doesn't work. Good thing the secretary wasn't like, lose my number, bitch. (laughs) So she ended up testifying in Lorena's trial and gave all this information. God bless her. I mean, that was a lot of effort to go through for somebody who is a stranger to you. Yeah. You yeah. met this woman one time. Exactly. Didn't get a great service. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it's, yeah. but she really was like, this is wrong and I need to do something about yeah. this. Yeah. Well, and plenty of people probably would have thought, well, if they need my information, they'll call me. And she made sure to call them to make sure that they got the information. She was super proactive about it. Yeah, for sure. When it was Ebert's turn to cross examine her because she was a witness for the defense, he's like, mm, nah. No questions. No questions. I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, Regina says that on the stand, she locked eyes with Ebert. And it's like, close up on her eyes, close up on his eyes, close up on her eyes. And then he was like, nope, I'm not going to touch her. Yep, not going to touch her. That obviously helped things. And Ebert, he didn't stop there. He also had a psychiatrist who had previously testified against Lorena having PTSD to call Regina. And he was like, I think you need to talk to her because she's going to have some information for you. And after talking to her, the psychiatrist changed his opinion about Lorena and changed his testimony to say that he did agree that she had PTSD. Well, and they're interviewing jurors, and one of the jurors was like, that really changed my opinion on this case. And that's the prosecution essentially sabotaging his own case because... Because I think he knew... he knew He knew that her allegations were true, and he believed that, she probably did suffer from the temporary insanity or irresistible impulse or whatever. And during closing arguments, Blair Howard said a woman's body is her home. To rape a woman is to ravish her soul. That's heavy. That's, that gives me chills almost. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's well said. Yeah, very well said. I think it brings the gravity of that situation to the forefront as well. Lorena's verdict was not guilty by reason of insanity, which essentially like never happens, but it happened for her. And she ended up being sentenced to 45 days in a mental hospital. She said to, and this was really tough. I mean, her lawyer was like, we talked about this. She knew that just because she wasn't going to do jail time didn't mean that she was just going to walk out scot-free. But Lorena was like, when they told her, okay, you're going to be transported to, like, the the jailer or whoever is going to bring you to, transport you to the mental hospital, she was like, what? Where, what's going on right now? Yeah, I'm just, not guilty. Why am I not going home? Yeah, why am I not just free? And John is just living his fucking life, just mm-hmm. doing whatever whatever the hell he pleases. Whatever he wants to do, yeah. And his family was, of course, upset that she was found not guilty because, God forbid, he could have lost his penis. (laughs) Well, are we, are we not, let us not forget the penis that we almost lost. (laughs) The brother, because they're on, what show was it? It was not Geraldo, or was it Geraldo? There was a a talk show that they were all on, and they were talking, it was a woman, I can't remember who it was, but she was like, Jimmy you know, Jones? Maybe. I can't. Yeah, I can't remember which show it was either. But yeah, they're interviewing the brothers. These are two brothers, which I'm confused, and maybe it's because, oh, I don't know. Bobbitt, John Bobbitt's the only one that has the last name Bobbitt. His brothers and his parents are biro, biro? At some point, he went to live with his aunt and uncle. And they took him in as their own. So is that like I his guess. cousins, but also brother-like type? Maybe, yeah. Because his mom, biological mother was in and out, mostly out yeah the dad left so i'm guessing that's probably what it was right yeah I think okay so. that makes more sense now but they were like what oh, would yeah, yeah, you because yeah, his brother is actually his cousin yes yep what would you do and they're talking to his brothers what would you do if you saw lorena after this and they're like oh i would if i if i was there i would have killed her mm-hmm. because he what she did was worse than death yeah yeah really i mean i'm not saying it's ideal I just don't know if I feel that. I mean, it's just amazing a man's attachment to his own penis. I just don't get it. If that's the only thing that makes your life worth living. Because women, and I can't imagine how difficult it is, but like, you know, you have cancer of, you know, breast cancer, what ovarian cancer, whatever. You have a full hysterectomy, you lose your breasts. Like, you're still a person, though. I just don't understand that, like, that's your identity. Your whole identity is wrapped up in your dick. I just don't yeah. get it. I'm exactly. sorry. I just don't get it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I don't. I don't remember which person that said it in the documentary, but she says, you know, talks about all the genital mutilation that happens to women it every was day. The bunny ranch lady. Her name was Air Force Amy. Oh, right. Um, I think that is her biological. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but she says thousands of clits are cut off in Africa every day. Every and no, day. Nobody talks about it, but one dick gets cut off and the world stops. It's a yeah. man's world. Yeah. Where's the Where's the outrage for all of those, the women? It happens all the time. Yeah. Who suffer that? It's painful. It's, but, you know, who cares? So, at this time, Lorena's in the hospital. She is learning to cope with her trauma, learning, you know, different ways of coping with her anxiety, like, all these things. She's processing things. And the way that she talked about it was so sad. She's, like, she was still experiencing PTSD because she kept having flashbacks of what happened to her, as if they were happening for the first time or while she was, that she was still in it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So sad. She's working through all these things, and she's trying to better herself. And what does John do? He hits the circuit again, trying to get more famous. And he started, like, he stripped at a drag show. He, that was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever seen. Yeah. He sold his clothes and underwear, and he starred in porn. He got into porn. It was called John Wayne Bobbitt, uncut. Yeah, because he said people just really wanted to like see what his penis looked like and if it still worked. So the best way to do that would be to do a porno. That way they could like see it in action basically. And they premiered it like it was a Hollywood film. Yeah. He took it on the road. Like, yeah, and he was like what, wearing a tux and shit? Like got all dressed up for like a red carpet thing. So ridiculous. And I guess Ron Jeremy was the one that made it or whatever. So he was there for every Yeah, for everything. Howard Stern uh, fuck howard stern <laughs> yes so fuck howard stern he was like in love with john Bobbitt, apparently and you know he had that we talked about the the thing where he raised money for john and all that kind of stuff well john was on a show like several times so he came back on the show after the verdict and all that kind because of stuff Because john would have attended an opening of an envelope like he did not care he was there for whatever oh, as yeah. long as he could be seen or get paid yes absolutely And Howard Stern was like, I mean, I don't really think you, I don't think you did anything to her. Like, she's not even that great looking. She's got a lot of pimples and stuff. Her skin didn't look that good. I was appalled. Yeah. I think she needs a little vitamin Bobbit. Ugh. What the fuck, Howard Stern? He's such an asshole. I was talking to Miss KB about this today and i was just like i cannot stand howard stern he's said so trashy and dad was like that's not a strong enough word <laughs> it's not there's something more there that's uh-huh. not it yeah there it is it's true he's despicable yes and he ended up offering to i don't know how the subject got brought up but he offered to pay for john to have penis enhancement surgery because what do you do now that you've essentially magically had it reattached and you should really just be thankful that it still works like, well, really? And you really shouldn't be, because he as a person should not have a working penis. Exactly. Because he can't handle the, the responsibility. The re- exactly. But he was like, well, yeah, let's do this surgery. And apparently you're only supposed to do it for length, but he did it for length and girth. Girth is a word I don't like. hate that word. Yeah. Um, which doesn't go so well, typically. Of course, you're going to need to make a porno about that one. And what else would you call it other than Franken-penis? Oh, God. They filmed the surgery. Disgusting. (laughs) Blah. Blah. And the thing about doing that surgery, and, like, they interviewed the surgeon, and they're like, you know, have you done these before? Oh, I've done tons of them, all this kind of stuff. Well, what John didn't know was, yeah, he'd done a bunch of them, but he was actually already being sued in a bunch of lawsuits because... He essentially fucked them all up. Yeah. They were botched Yeah, Yeah, botched. Somebody said his his dick looked like a, a beer can with a dent in it or something. Like they said it was like deformed and didn't look right. what you get? And the surgeon ended up having his license taken away because he'd been sued by so many people. They definitely found evidence of wrongdoing on his part. Even though John's like super famous now, he's like totally on Howard Stern all the time. He doesn't have any money, and what money Howard Stern raised for him, like, I don't know what happened to it, but he blew through it. So, he ended up having to file Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and he didn't have money to pay his hospital bills or anything, so he got all that wiped clean. What he did with the $198,000, I have no idea. So, he ended up moving to Vegas to start over, and he became a chaplain at a Vegas wedding chapel and performed weddings. Can you imagine being? in 2020 being like, yeah, you know, John Bobbitt married us. I just don't get it. You get a tomato thrown at your face. (laughs) He was hired at the Bunny Ranch as a greeter and a limo driver. But they, I mean, the way that they talked about him, they were like, you know, at first he was likable. He was fun to have around. He just kind of showed up and then they offered him a job. But every job that they gave him, they were like, okay, you can be a bartender. And he's like, well, I can only make one drink and I can't even do that well. So they're like, well, we got to have another bartender. (laughs) Yeah. And then. He's a limo driver, but then one of the, I think it was Suzette or something, like the yeah. manager or whatever, she was like, you can't let 18, drunk 18-year-old girls drive the limo. If that's your job, yeah, you can't let somebody else do it. So eventually they, they fired him. Yeah. He says he wasn't fired, <laughs> but he was. Because he was getting hammered drunk and not doing his job. Yeah. And they, the people that worked there said that there were two sides to him. There was either like a nice, well-mannered guy to fucking asshole in three drinks. In three drinks. Yeah, it doesn't take long. Now, on the night in question, how many drinks did he say he had? Three. Five. No. Oh, yeah, he said he had more, didn't he? He had three beers and two... Two of those B-52s. Shots. Yeah. So, yeah. and he <laughs> now he says the B-52s were not not strong they weren't really they were hardly anything they were like nothing they were only liquor but they were not strong yeah but it so if we wipe those out since they don't count so he three still had three drinks three so he definitely had at least three and if that's all it takes it's funny how you were like how many drinks did we did have and we both at the same time three five <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i forgot about those other two because <laughs> i was like remember he had the two b52s and he said he had a budweiser that's three five. well if you're counting a pitcher as one drink then sure. Sure, yeah. There you go. After he was fired, the ranch got a restraining order. And according to an article in Vanity Fair in 1999, John pled guilty to a felony charge of attempted grand larceny related to the theft of $140,000 worth of clothes from a store in Nevada. Now, he says he was unaware that the clothes weren't paid for. Because he walked in apparently and was like, look, I'm a celebrity. I need these for free. Yeah, who paid for them? $140,000? It's not like it was... Ten bucks, and you can't remember if you spent it or not. Well, and if, if you... Okay, I don't know. Exactly. What he did with that was he took them back to other places, those, the chains, but different locations, and tried to, like, return them to get money back. So, it's like, if they're not stolen... Exactly. Then what the fuck? Yeah. So, he ended up being uh, sentenced to five years probation for that, and then four months later, he was found guilty of harassment of an adult film actress and ex-girlfriend and spent 60 days in jail. Her name was Desiree. He wanted to go to Niagara Falls, New York, but he couldn't get there on his own, and he needed Desiree to essentially pay for that. So, she took him there, and he had no money, so she said she'd help him out. She helped him get an apartment. She was paying the rent, of course. She was supporting him while she worked and lived in Vegas, and she said she would come visit, and one time near the end of the relationship, She went to make sure that John had gotten the apartment put in his name instead of their name. He lost it, started beating her. He took her to the balcony, pushed her over, holding her by her legs. He threatened to drop her, but people saw them, so he pulled her back up. Once they got back in the apartment, he tied her to the bed and stripped her, and he raped her and sodomized her while telling her she was his Lorena now, and no one could escape him. After three days, Desiree tried playing dead. And he untied her and started gathering sheets like he was going to wrap her up. But once she was completely untied and he started to walk toward the door, she ran. John was 32 at the time. He was charged with harassment, but there were no allegations of rape at the time of the arrest. So no rape kit was done. They did find during their investigation and in like a, an 11 or 12 year old kid who was homesick that day. And he saw through his peephole that John was dragging Desiree through the hall. So he testified to that. So he did end up getting, you know, like we said, found guilty of that. He got sentenced to 60 days in jail. After that, he left Nevada for a while and tried to find ways to stay in the limelight. Because that's the most important thing to him. He appeared on WWE Monday Night Raw. He joined the Jim Rose Circus as part of a knife-throwing act. He was supposed to be on Celebrity Boxing too. But he was charged with battering his third wife, Joanna, who was a fitness model. He also got married in between that to a woman named Dottie Brewer, but it was annulled after 13 days. I'm not really sure where that happened, but she ended up writing a tell-all book called This Week I Married John Wayne Bobbitt. Okay. Yeah, she also has other books, uh, one called How to Shit Money and When the Soul Cries. He and Joanna ended up getting a divorce, and he ended up being found not guilty of several domestic battery charges related to that marriage, Um, but she did accuse him, and he was charged. He moved back home to help take care of his mother, who was sick with cancer, and in 2014, a car ran a red light, and John smashed into it, and he broke his neck. In 2016, he ended up scheduling an appointment with Dr. Berman, the man who had the surgeon who reattached his penis in the first place, to try to reduce it because he was like, I should have just left it alone, but now it's all fucked up. Yeah. So When he was asked about the other assault convictions and the claims that the women made against him, he said that women just used his name as a stepping stone to get famous themselves and that all the allegations were totally false and just, like, made up. Everybody just jumped on the bandwagon, apparently. Because he's never used violence, like, basically ever. No. He doesn't even believe in it. What would associating yourself with John Bobbitt do for you? Exactly. And I read an article that said that um, him trying to say that he's not a violent person is completely contradicted by the fact that he joined the Marines and, you know, what are you going to do there but, like, learn combat skills and, you know, things like that. And then he was a bouncer at a bar, which eventually you're going to have to use violence, essentially, to... Stop people from doing stupid shit. So if you're a totally nonviolent person and you would never, ever ever take place in a fight or an altercation, those are two places you're probably not going to go. Yeah, but exactly, you know. Lorena had a much different path after her release from the hospital, and was declared to need no further hospitalization. so they after she was released for that 45 days, they said, "You're not a threat to anybody. everything's good." So, she became a U.S. citizen later that year. Her family moved to Virginia from Venezuela. She worked multiple jobs to help support them while they got their citizenship. She was offered a million dollars to pose for Playboy, nude, but she turned it down. And she said, my family, we just ate beans and rice and hot dogs because that was the cheapest thing. Do you know how much a million dollars would have helped? But I stood up for my beliefs, my integrity, my Catholicism. She re-enrolled in community college, where she met her now husband, and they have a daughter together. In 2007, she started a domestic violence foundation and now travels as a speaker to raise awareness about domestic violence. She said the media was only focusing on the penis, the sensationalistic, the scandalous. But I wanted to shine a light on this issue of spousal abuse. She went to Knoxville um, to speak at a university. And she said, the president of the school introduced me as a celebrity. I said, thank you, but let me correct you. I'm not a celebrity. I'm an advocate. This case, while it made headlines for the sensationalized kind of reasons, it did affect change in legislature. In 1990, Senator Joe Biden had signed the Violence Against Women Act into law. Um, Or he was like the proponent of it. And it's since been reauthorized and evolved over time. But this case definitely had a part in pushing for that. Because initially after it was written, it was um, because of Newt Gingrich, the funds that were allocated to it were not appropriated to it. So they weren't able to access any of the funds for it. So after this and some other cases, that kind of helped that push go through. And Bill Clinton played a part in that as well. Yes. Um, which is interesting because of how he, uh, views women, but, you know, (laughs) whatever. So the Violence Against Women law provides programs and services like the Federal Rape Shield law, which prohibits introducing evidence on cross-examining rape complainants about their past sexual history, which should have nothing to do with being raped in the first place. Being able to ask people, like, how many sexual partners have you had? That's like saying, are you sure you were raped? Yeah, exactly. You well, sure maybe, you didn't want that? Yeah, maybe you asked for it. Exactly. Protections for victims who are evicted from their homes because of events related to domestic violence or stalking. Uh, programs to meet the needs of immigrant women and women of different races or ethnicities. Programs and services for victims with disabilities. And legal aid for survivors of domestic violence. So if you watch the documentary, it starts off with Steve Harvey interviewing Lorena, and the end circles back to that interview with him, like, joking about why did she leave with the penis. And she said the media is a double-edged sword, and she knows that the jokes are going to be there, but as long as it shines a light on domestic violence, she's okay with it. She wants women to know that they're not alone and that they can get out. And at the end of the documentary, she goes through all the cards and letters and shit that John has been sending her over the years and her dining room table was covered in letters. He's saying stuff like, I miss you. I love you. If I had any woman, it would be you from your cold, insensitive husband. And that's not even counting. I mean, maybe she, like, printed them off, but he he sent physical letters and cards and things, but he also got on Facebook and was sending her things, like, texting her all the time, he would say, we'd make a lot of money if we got back together. I know we had a baby. Yeah, we should have a baby. If you had a baby, there would be a lot of people who would love to do an interview. I know people that would interview you in a heartbeat like this or that. We'd make so much money. And she's like, leave me alone. I mean, I don't know what else to do. Like, I cut his penis off. Like, what other message do you need for me to send you to let you know that this is over for me? Right. Like, done. And then um, in the article that we read, we learned that John is now living in Nevada still. Uh, he's back in Vegas, and he's spending most of his time, so he lives on disability from that car wreck, and he spends most of his time searching for some kind of, like, a buried treasure there that some, like, artist had left or something like that. I can't remember the details, but it's literally, like, a treasure hunt, and he's devoted, like, the rest of his life to it. Well, Because he's I mean, going to find it. Good luck. Good luck. The end of the documentary... Ends with the number to call if you are experiencing domestic violence. Uh, so that's one eight hundred seven nine nine 799 safe But, you know, definitely uh, if you or anybody you know is having issues like that, write that number down, give it to somebody, like whatever you can do. But we've come a long way as far as help for people who are being abused. And that's it. That's it. That's Damn near three hours of Lorena and talking about peens. I think we did it. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, We do have some shout outs today. Uh, These are people who have become patrons recently. So we want to thank you Mandy Harris, Ashton, Emily Smith, Jessica Peter, Megan Sanchez, Amanda Rogers, Stephanie Spurgers, Anna Hewn, Haley, Christina Bim. Megan Dewberry, Angelica Hancock, Sarah Hatfield, Georgia Cooper, Jasmine Willman, Katie Cash, Julia Riley, Erin Wysikarski, Skyla Claxton. Thank you. Thank you so much we for love joining. You. Yes, we love you a million, a million, a million. Yes, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.